The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So congratulations for making it here. There's more and more research about how challenging it is to change habits. And uh, unfortunately, one of the strongest habits in our mind is the habit, you could say, of distraction or superficiality, the mind, the attention, that part of the mind that pays attention is sort of flighty, sort of here and there and keeps moving, never really connects, never really settles. And I I think, I don't think this is... uh, I don't think anybody would disagree with this, but I think with modern technology, the internet, mobile devices, it's probably even more pronounced, this basic problem of inattention or distractedness or scatteredness, superficiality. And it's really painful. It is a kind of suffering. Not being connected is a kind of suffering. And what makes it even... uh, more profoundly disturbing for us is, it's actually frightening to say it this way, but we actually grow unaccustomed to being connected. We get used to being disconnected, superficial, caught up in our thoughts, and then quite literally we're afraid of dropping into our actual experience. You know, like, connecting with the experience of the body sitting. So I'll say more, of course, but let's just start with a little practice just to get a sense of what we'll be doing for the next six weeks. Then I'll introduce myself and say more about the practice in the class. So you don't need to sit in any particular way, of course, to be mindful, mindfully aware. doesn't require any particular posture, so just sit in a comfortable way You can have your eyes open, or if you prefer, lightly close the eyes. And noticing what the mind is knowing, what the mind, the heart is sensitive to now, already sensitive to. And just see, in the most simple way, can you leave this alone? Whatever the mind is knowing, can this be left alone? Can it be allowed to be the way that it is? For example, if you intentionally now (coughs) feel the sensations of the body sitting here, being interested and even intimate with the body sitting, can you leave this experience alone? So on the one hand, intimate or interested, and on the other hand, just allowing the experience of sitting to be the way it is now. What interrupts 
this simple, clear presence with the body. So how come this attention isn't able to connect and then sustain a simple, nonverbal awareness of body sensations? What gets in the way? Let's see if you can counter the habit of being distracted with uh, interest, like valuing being connected, intimate, interested in the body, the actual sensations of sitting, breathing, sitting, buttocks making contact, hands touching perhaps. See if the attention can be even a little closer, a little bit more intimate, more accepting, allowing the experience of the body to be the way it is, feeling now the entire head, all the sensations in the face, through the mouth, So specifically being intimate, being present with the sensations in the face and head. Even the most ordinary sensations like the weight of the hair, for example. Or the feeling, the sensations of the tongue in the mouth. The simple, simple touching of the air going in and out of the nostrils. And then let the attention come down through the neck, the throat, the back of the neck, tops of the shoulders, just as they are. So in a sense, we're letting this attention, this clear presence, letting it soak in, tops of the shoulders, the neck and throat, and both arms, both hands, all the fingers. A simple and steady presence here. And again, interested in whatever (coughs) interrupts or disturbs the continuity of this simple awareness of the arms and shoulders and neck. Learning, it's a practice we're learning to be intimate but at the same time not controlling or not judging, not needing the sensations of the arms, shoulders to be different than they are. And then the same with the entire trunk, both the front side, the back side, the sides of the trunk, and of course any sensations inside. So feel the chest and upper back just as they are. 
Marine Tanks B. And the diaphragm, the solar plexus, middle back, kidneys. the lower back, and the belly, all the organs in the abdomen. Opening, being sensitive to the entire pelvis, the structure of the hips, the groin, the floor of the pelvis, taking it all in just as it is. Take a little time and feel the whole trunk the torso together now. We don't need any thought or image about the trunk, just the actual sensations, just as they are. Not afraid if any of the sensations are unpleasant, just letting them be. And then finally, both legs. So from the hip sockets, you feel the thighs, the bend of the knees, shins and calves, ankles, all the way to the heels, and then the bottoms of the feet, and the sides and tops of both feet, and the toes. Simple, honest presence with both legs, both feet. Being both intimate with the legs and feet and also letting them be. It's quite a liberation, a relief not to have to fix or make the experience different. And then finally, the whole body. The sense of being right in the middle of this dance of different sensations coming and going, pleasant and unpleasant, and of course, many neutral sensations in the body now. The whole range. What would uh, unconditional acceptance of the body feel like, look like now? Willing to be right in the middle, really close, unafraid to feel what's being felt. And for just another minute, see if it's possible to let go of the whole world or plans or hopes, whatever. And just be intimate with the movement of sensation in the body.
sleep, returning, starting again. A simple, full presence with sensations of the body. Simply notice as we get close to the end of this meditation, notice if there's a way to stop being aware or noticing how the awareness of the body is what we might call inherent like happening on its own. This awareness of body, the knowing mind. So we're noticing how the knowing itself is effortless or happening on its own. Does it actually take effort to be sensitive to the body, the sensations of the body? Notice, if you can, how light awareness is just doing what it does, reflecting back the way it is. Slowly opening the eyes. And then just, if you need to, make any adjustments. Stretch your legs out or whatever you need to do to be comfortable. It's nice to begin with a little taste of the practice. I often say, you know, these teachings that come from the Buddha, basic teachings on awareness or mindfulness, it's just basic human common sense, right? Like, can you imagine in high school debating, you know, having to take the side arguing why being mindful is bad? Like where or how could it be bad to be mindful, to be like able to show up in whatever moment is arising for us with a mind that's awake, clearly aware, in a balanced and steady way. Like what situation in life would that be problematic? Right? It's hard to imagine a situation where mindfulness would be counterindicated, cause problems. So in a way, 
coming, signing up for this class, getting here tonight on a cold night. We're here to reclaim our inheritance as human beings, right? We inherit, we've inherited this capacity. It's a potential, maybe quite undeveloped, <laughs> at least in moments. But we have this potential to be in the world, in our experience, awake, intimate, fearlessly present, willing to be touched, right? willing to feel what we feel. Or we can choose to be in our life in a way that's disconnected, oblivious, superficial, not interested, not really connecting or being touched by what's happening. And you know, the natural consequence of that, of being disconnected, is life feels so hollow. And we start looking for our life, but we look in all the wrong places, you know, to juice it up, to spice it up, because it feels so hollow, but it's not hollow because we live in Minnesota in the wintertime. It's hollow because we're not actually showing up. We're not actually connecting with our experience. So it's not necessarily our partner or the weather or that we're a certain age or that we have a certain job or all the other reasons we tend to point to when we think our life isn't working very well. It may be simply that we're disconnected. How can life be satisfying or enlivening if our unconscious strategy is to be distracted? Like to be living a life but not really wanting to be there. Sure, I'll marry you, but I don't really want to be there. You know, I'll take this job, I'll live in this place, I'll use this body, but I don't really want to feel it. I don't really want to see it as it is, right? I mean, it just when you say it that way, it just makes so much sense that our habit, habits, our basic strategies for living aren't going to deliver anything besides stress and despair and a sense that if we're lucky that something's missing and if we're even more lucky, having some intuition about where to look to resolve the basic problem, which is not being connected. Now, I'm not saying that when you start being more awake, more mindful, that problems will go away. Your digestion will get better and your knee pain will go away and your partner will become a better human being and treat you the way you want to be treated and all of the injustices systematically embedded in our culture will be you know, will evaporate and no. But what we'll learn is how to be intimate, how to connect, and how to respond from that place of connection. That's how things get better in our relationships, at our jobs, in our society, not from practicing being disconnected, but from the practice of being connected, intimate, awake, or mindful. So that's what we're here to do for the next six weeks. 
And I'm sure you realize, I hope you realize, that it's not a six-week endeavor. You know, it's kind of neat. Kamagon started in 1993. Back then it was weird. <laughs> being a Buddhist or being somebody interested in Buddhist mindfulness meditation was weird. Or a little, you know, at least my, from my point of view of my parents who are no longer living. But So that's when we started the center back in 1993. But now it's kind of big. But one of the problems with mindfulness and Buddhist meditation practice getting popular is there's it gets commodified. So, well, you do this and then you're done. You did this course, or you took this, you got this app. Now we have meditation apps. Some of them maybe are good, I don't know. But but the, the downfall of that is you come in, I'm going to do this six-week course, I can check that off my list. If you're lucky, you do the six-week course, you come every night, and you know you probably know this, but you can really be interested in this and still not come back next week because we have all kinds of reasons to avoid the things that are really good for us. Right? If life has proven anything, it's really easy to avoid things that are really good for us. And it's really easy to gravitate towards things that don't deliver anything but stress. You know, maybe a short-term high or a short-term pleasant experience and then <clears throat> a yucky feeling after that. So if we're lucky, this six-week class will lead us to a place where we go, this makes a lot of sense. Or even from your direct experience, this feels the actual experience of cultivating mindfulness, this wakefulness, this feels, from my own experience, really wholesome. Like something I was always interested in, but I didn't realize it. Like discovering something that we've been looking for, but we didn't realize we were looking for. Right? You can have that feeling, but that's just the beginning. So it's really good to think of this as not even a 10-year project, but really uh, developing an interest in a lifestyle, like a lifestyle of mindfulness. Just doing whatever we can pragmatically, moment by moment, day by day, year by year, decade by decade, maybe even, who knows, life by life, to move in the direction of somebody being a mind and body that just more and more moments with more and more clarity, stability, is awake, really there in the moments as they arise. Intimate. Which is not different than saying compassionate or kind or wise. There's no wisdom or kindness, wisdom or compassion, without being connected. What would compassion be if a person actually isn't connecting? It would be some kind of idea of compassion. I'm lost in my thought about being a compassionate person. But that's not the same as being loving or wise. You have to be connected to express some wisdom, to relate you know, in a skillful way in a particular moment of your life. You have to be there to do that. So like anything in the world, if you want to be good at it, you have to practice it. Just because we can appreciate that intellectually it makes a lot of sense to be awake and 
the mind to be clear with a continuous mindful awareness. You can't just appreciate it and expect the mind to be that way because we have some momentum. Our mind or personality has some momentum towards being distracted. And basically, when things are difficult, we don't want to be there. But here's the thing. This is like a basic premise, which is why we sit still when we do our formal meditation practice, because if we decide, well, yeah, I'll practice being awake, mindful, when things are really pleasant, but when things are unpleasant, I don't want to practice being intimate. I want to practice being disconnected. But the thing is, if we're not cultivating a lifestyle of being present, we're cultivating a lifestyle of being disconnected. And so you can't choose. You've got to choose one or the other. You can't say, I'll be connected when it's pleasant and disconnected when it's unpleasant. You just have to choose. What's it going to be? What's our allegiance? Connected? That means we take everything. We've got to be in this sort of dispassionate, clear, steady, fearless, compassionate way. We're going to connect with the beautiful, the pleasant, the ordinary, the neutral, and the really unpleasant, the really scary and or deeply painful moments. We're going to choose the connection, the intimacy, so no, you don't have to decide right now. But for the six weeks, we're going to check it out. So we'll have more data. Like at the end of six weeks, you have some data. Because by being more awake, you'll notice the reverberation, like the after effect of being disconnected, lost in thought. You kind of get like, oh, this is what that feels like. And then you get more and more evidence like in those moments where you are more awake, more mindful, you'll get a sense of what that's like. What does that set in motion? What's the reverberation of moments of being relatively clear, relatively awake, mindful? And you can decide for yourself what your allegiance will be for, be toward in your life. Connecting, mindfulness, disconnection, not being mindful, being lost in our thoughts, being caught up in our obsessions. So just a little background. Common Ground, we've been here, like I mentioned, since 1993. And it comes out of the Theravada Buddhist tradition, which is the kind of Buddhism you'd find, you'll find in Thailand and Burma and Sri Lanka and, and Cambodia and Laos, those parts of the world. And uh, it's the kind of Buddhism that orients its teachings around the teachings of the historic Buddha. So it's a lot of the uh, other schools of Buddhism are quite beautiful, but uh, they kept uh, sort of uh, new layers of teachings kept being added on over the centuries. And some of those are quite beautiful and useful. Uh, But Theravada Buddhism basically just uses the teachings of the Buddha and people's comments about those teachings of the Buddha And you'll find it's often considered to be more psychologically grounded like, and and really pragmatic and not so interested in um, sort of talking about 
absolute truth of the way things are, but really more interested in getting to know the mind. And the freedom is not some sort of universal freedom, but freedom right here in a person's heart, mind, right here. So in that way, it's really psychological and pragmatic. We have everything we need right here to create hell for ourselves, right? Have you done that? (laughs) We've all done that, right? Where we obsess in ways that tie our heart and body and mind up in knots or get, you know, lost in drama, self-constructed dramas. And hopefully we've had moments when, and it's actually to a large degree independent of the particular circumstances where, like you can have very ordinary circumstances, but the heart, mind is very, really free, not sticky, not reactive, not constructing problems for oneself. This is actually a powerful turning point and it will be a good motivation for you in the in the class. You know, you the usual mode for us is to locate our the cause of our suffering out there. It's like yeah, my partner, my boss, my body, the age of my body or the injuries in my body, you know, politics the injustice that I experience, oppression that I might experience. So we have these reasons that we think, well, because of that I suffer. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there are people who have really, even extremely difficult conditions. They're in poverty, or they live in a place where they're being oppressed in sort of clear ways or uh, unconscious ways. People can have terrible diseases or medical problems. So there's all kinds of difficult things that happen to us. We die, people we love die, breakups, financial insecurity. But the relevant thing is because a lot of that, those ups and downs in life, to some degree they're going to happen no matter what. I mean, certain, certainly death and loss happens to everybody. The question is, do we use the ups and downs in life as a support for constructing suffering, stress in our mind, or do we find a way to be free with the conditions, the circumstances that are here for us in our lives? Well, we won't if we think that my happiness depends on circumstances. Then we're going to go about spending our life trying to control or manage the circumstances to make us happy, which is basic, the basic approach most people have, right? We're busy at manipulating, controlling, gathering things that make us happy, getting rid of things that make us unhappy. So in Buddhism, we call that a worldly life, you know, a life directed toward the circumstances, conditions. And the story that's told in the the tradition is, it's as if the world, you know, you're walking barefoot on the world and there are a lot of sharp stones and, you know, thorns and sticks. And and so you figured out the answer. Well, I'm going to just cover the whole world in shag carpeting. It'll be taken care of. And it's actually a good solution, but it's, not an easy solution to cover the whole world in carpet. 
Or you could just make a pair of shoes, right? So it's the same thing. We could have this orientation, like if I just make my partner treat me exactly the way that will make me happy, and if I can just make my body be just the way that will make me happy, and if I could make society fair and just in just the way that will make me happy, and on and on like that, that's the ticket to hell, right? Because we, you know, it's not that our actions don't have results. They do, but we, we don't hold all the cards. Anybody who's been in an intimate relationship with another human being knows how destructive it is in the relationship to think, if only I can make this person different, I'll be happy, right? Anybody succeed? And making your partner the way you need them to be, to be happy? Or how about with your body? That's another one of those endless things. You know, if only I work out. If only I, if only, if only. The promise that's never kept. So the other way is to train the mind, right? To be right in the middle, awake, present. And to practice being intimate, but not pushed around by what comes and goes. So when we're sitting in meditation, right, we have all kinds of techniques, and I'll share a few in just about 10 minutes that you can begin with. You know, So we're sitting right in the middle of our experience in a relaxed way, and we minimize the intensity of our experience by finding a quiet place where we don't have any duties and responsibilities for that, 45 minutes at 30 minutes at 15 minutes at 2 minutes. No excuse not to practice every day, right? So we sit down. We've got our time that we know we can just sit without picking up our responsibilities. And then things are still going to happen. Thoughts will arise. Emotions will move. Sensations will come and go. Sounds will come and go. Sights come and go. And we practice (coughs) being awake, being intimate, just like we'd be practicing all day long, but now in a relatively simple environment. And we practice realizing that we don't need to be pushed around by what comes and goes. Sensations do come and go. Thoughts do come and go. Emotions do come and go. Sights and sounds do come and go. Even smells come and go. But there's a way we can learn to be right in the middle, intimate. Not, I'm going to get into some really quiet space so I'm not That concentration practice is really nice and you learn a lot from it. But mindfulness isn't about leaving the moment. It's learning how to to inhabit right in the middle. So whatever sensitivity we have through our eyes, through our ears, through the nose and taste in the mouth, through the skin touch, and we're also sensitive to thought, to mental activity, right? So we're sensitive in these six ways, the five physical senses, And we're also sensitive to mental activity. And actually, this is kind of amazing, there is nothing more to this world than these six sensitivities. Everything that's ever happened to you has been being sensitive to these six things, right? It's never more than sensitivity to sight, sound, smell, touch, and taste, and sensitivity to thought. This is the only way we know what we call the world. 
is through these six sense gates. They're called in Buddhism, the six sense gates, right? So first what we do is we clarify them so we're really present with those six things. And, you know, generally in sitting practice, it's mostly sensitive to sensation, physical sensation, to sound, right? Keep our ears open. And thought. There are some smells, you know, some tastes, some sights, but generally we're in a place where the sights, even with your eyes open, are pretty neutral. So it's mostly we're learning to be awake to hearing, sensations, and mental activity, right in the middle, unafraid, radically sensitive, present, and realizing that when we react to what's coming and going, it's stressful. When we, in a sense, become transparent, so sounds still come, but we're not trying to do anything with the sound. We don't have, we're not, we're training the mind not to interpret the sound in terms of good or bad. We're not judging it. It's just hearing, being known. Sensations come. They may be unpleasant sensations, but we're not taking respon- we're not feeling responsible to react. It's just pain being known, just throbbing being known, aching being known. Or maybe it's a pleasant sensation, just that light vibration being known. It's just these sensations being known, just thinking being known. So if we want to be able to be right in the middle, clearly aware, we have to practice. So your daily sitting time, it's a little bit like kindergarten. We're not going to your job site or to the difficult people in your life or to the Mall of America and practicing being radically present. We're finding a quiet space with the cell phone off, the dog in the other room, you know, people we live with know not to walk into the room. looking at something that's pleasing if the eyes are open or shutting the eyes in a relaxed way. And we're learning how to be right in the middle, like in kindergarten where it's simple, right in the middle, sensitive, and we're learning that when I react to what's being known, things get tight in the body and mind. And when I let things be, things get really light and free. We're basically discovering the causes for stress and the causes for release from stress. It might seem, yeah, but this has nothing to do with the real world. But actually, the underlying principle of what you realize works everywhere in your life. First, you have to discover the underlying principle, what in Buddhism we call non-attachment or not clinging. Right? You have to actually recognize the mind when it's not clinging and you have to recognize the mind when it is clinging, when it is attached, identified, right? You have to learn the difference between the two. Now, intellectually, we know the difference, you know, attachment's one thing, non-attachment's another thing. But we need to know it directly, immediately. And then as you get to know it, you're going to naturally, the mind will understand non-attachment is wholesome the way to peace. Attachment is the way to hell, to stress. It just will become clear as day. And then the mind will begin to generalize it. So you'll be 
in some stressful situation and just spontaneously, because of your formal meditation practice, you'll have a moment of practice. And you'll see that the attachment, the identification, the fixation you have right in that moment is the cause for stress. And to, to whatever degree the mind is able to release that identification, that attachment, that clinging, grasping, you realize this is the way to peace, to freedom, to ease, to well-being. It's really that simple. We create simple conditions, which w- what we call our formal meditation time, to directly, immediately study the causes for stress and the causes for the release of that stress. And then we practice integrating that, what we've learned, all day long. You know, where we're having a conversation and energetically we realize we're leaning forward. We have an agenda. We want this person to see it our way. And we see, oh, that's attachment. That hurts. It's suffering. right? And we look. We don't judge the attachment. We just practice being intimate with it. Okay. Oh, yeah, this does hurt. Yeah. Because it's being intimate with the suffering of attachment, the stress of attachment, that allows the letting go. It's seeing it clearly, not judging it, not hating it, not thinking you're a bad person because you're attached or you have an agenda, but just seeing it for what it is is the cause for the letting go. In the same way, if you're relating in a moment and your mind is really equanimous, not attached, kind, wise, skillful, you want to be intimate with that. You want to be mindfully aware of that because that will support the continuation of that wholesome or skillful way of being. Awareness, this balanced, clear awareness that we call mindfulness, it strengthens the wholesome qualities and weakens the unwholesome qualities. It's actually amazing. But you have to see this in your own mind or your own heart because that's what will create the energy to continue with your practice. Because it's not easy. We have a lot of habit energy towards distraction. And here's the real kicker. It's like uh, there's a famous Tibetan teacher who came back in the late 60s, early 70s, Trungpa Rinpoche. And he said something like, you know, if you haven't begun your practice, better not to start. If you started it, better to finish. right? Because as we practice being more and more mindful, it's like we're choosing to be sensitive. Well, to be a human being and sensitive is not so easy, which is why most of our economy is based on distraction, finding ways to keep ourselves distracted. Right? So the more, if you catch, if you find that this practice really makes sense in your life, you're going to be on this path towards becoming a more sensitive human being. You'll feel things more deeply. But that's the way forward. It's intense to be sensitive, to see injustice, to see the conditioning of our own mind, the imperfections of our own mind, our own personality, let alone everybody else's personality, and seeing that judging it or hating it doesn't make it any better. It's just another layer of stress on what is already not so skillful.
So you have to, like with this practice, we're going right in the middle, waking up. Some of you probably saw the movie The Matrix way back when, when it first came out, or even more recently. But there's that one scene in the first uh, show, you know, where a person wakes up out of this dream and realizes, oh my God, you know, maybe I prefer the dream. But the way to freedom is by waking up in this honest way about how much greed is driving the system, how much fear and aversion is driving our personality, how much what we call delusion, which is basically choosing disconnection and distraction, how much these habits of greed, aversion, and delusion dominate the personality. So we have to wake up to that, right? Because if we're being mindful, we're going to see the personality in all its glory. There it is. You know, me, this body-mind thing here, being defensive, being controlling. It's like really hard for me to be honestly awake when I'm around my wife being controlling or being judging. I mean, I really care about her, and there I am being a jerk. Right? And to see that honestly as it actually is without hating myself, because that just makes it worse, or rationalizing it, which makes it worse, but just to see it and to notice what that feels like, stressful. Right? That's the way forward. And to see that We'll see it in other people too, you know, both the skillfulness but also, of course, the unskillfulness. So that's your warning, <laughs> right? But if you give it a shot, you'll see that not only does it sensitize you to what's difficult, but it senses, senses, sensitizes us to what we could call freedom, like the mind that's not grasping. Or you could call it a a kind of love, but not like I love a hamburger, not that kind of love or, you know, something we desire. But a love is really this, the naturalness of intimacy where everything is allowed to happen on its own. We've all probably tasted moments where we felt naturally uh, uninhibited, alive, part of everything. I mean, it always sounds a little cliche-ish to talk about it in words, but we've had these experiences. And though it's possible to live in this direction through the cultivation of mindfulness. So let's stand and stretch out our legs. We've been sitting for a while and I know some of you aren't used to sitting. And while we're standing, I'll say a little bit about walking meditation and standing meditation because as the Buddha taught, and you probably understand, we have our formal practice. In a perfect world, you'd each sit 30 minutes every day. If you're lucky, you could sit twice a day, right? <laughs> good, good to get the blood moving. But wh- whoever you are, some of you have kids, whatever your situation is, you really have to put some time in because... Just hearing the talks when you come here or doing a little practice when you come here on Tuesday night, you won't really have enough data at the end of the six weeks to have 
the energy to make it part of your life. As I mentioned right at the beginning, there's more evidence how challenging it is to add new habits, positive habits. You have to be, it has to get to the top of the priority list and you have to follow through with intention. So the thought will come up tomorrow, oh yeah, I'm doing this mindfulness meditation class and you have to follow through with that intention. Oh yeah, I'm going to sit. Now if you say, yeah, I'll sit later. No, that might be true, but it might be better to do something right then. Even if it's not a perfect time, you can just do a little bit, 30 seconds. Still do your 30 minutes later when you get home. Get a timer. You can get a, if you go to your app on your smartphone, you can look, search for Insight Meditation Timer. That's a really good one, free app you can download. Or a little kitchen timer, but don't stare at a clock. Use a timer, have a nice sound, or wrap it in a towel if it's not a nice sound, so when it goes off, it's not going to startle you. It's not going to be you know, a stressful moment for you. And then put it behind you so you're not going to just, in a moment when you're feeling a lot of pain or restlessness, look at the clock. Trust the timer. That means you're going to set it for an amount of time that you're really sure you're safe sitting. And it's important, like, when the thought comes up, I'm done with this. You have to see that as a moment of mindfulness. Oh, this is the experience of having the thought, I'm done with this. And it feels like this. If you grasp that thought and act it out by leaving your meditation, then you'll get better at leaving your meditation. So the next time you sit and that kind of thought comes up, it will be easier for you to leave. This is true with all habits. So when you have a intention to act on a good habit, take it because that habit will get stronger. When you have the intention to do something that's not skillful, don't do it and you're starving, you're weakening that habit. So um, some of you will be comfortable sitting on a chair or sitting on a cushion on the floor, but you can also do standing meditation, generally with the knees bent. If you can't sit long, but you want to do your meditation for half an hour, then you might sit for 10 minutes, stand for 10 minutes, sit for 10 minutes, or sit for 10 minutes, walk for 10 minutes, like in a hallway or someplace that's not too cluttered, and then sit for 10 minutes. And that way you can, even if you're not currently capable of sitting relatively still for 30 minutes, you can get a 30-minute practice period in by using standing, using walking. Now, there's some really good walking meditation instructions on our website. So when you look at our website, commongroundmeditation.org, and you find this class, which is under Programs, Introduction to Mindfulness Meditation, embedded in the description for this class is a link that will take you to the intro page. And it has the recordings of past talks, and these talks will get up there too. I'm recording this session. And also, I think, eight handouts, including a handout on walking meditation. So that will give you good background. So take a look at those, print them up if you want. And uh, But for sure, read the walking meditation and make sure to experiment with walking meditation. It's nice, you know, not everyone has a long hallway or a room that's wide, but just do the best you can, someplace that's not too cluttered, 
and you're just walking back and forth, standing right at one end of your walking lane. Maybe you only have 12 feet or something like that, but it's clear. You're moving anything that's going to be in your visual field that's going to trigger a lot of thinking. Don't have your bills sitting over here or you know some hallway or some space where there's nothing too charged there. And you just start your meditation by standing. You feel the feet making contact with the floor, which all of us can do right now. Then when you feel settled, just start walking. And when you walk, you're n- instead of like doing a breath meditation, you're noticing the lifting of the foot and you're noticing the placing. That's a really concrete experience, which means the attention can connect with something that simple, that concrete. Lifting, placing. And if you need more support for that, you can even mentally note that. So as your foot is lifting up, you can just in a relaxed way, silently, of course, in your mind, just say, lifting. And when your foot's making contact with the floor, you can use the word placing. Lifting, placing. Lifting, placing. You get, and then you get to the end of your lane. Can't go any further. Stopping. Stopping's like this. So, you know, when you verbalize it internally in your mind, you're just supporting moments of the mind connecting with the actuality of stopping and turning and turning and turning and stopping and standing and lifting and placing and lifting and placing. Just like that. Now, if you have a longer, I mean, in a perfect world, we'd have this beautiful 50, 40-foot lane, you know, tropical paradise, cool breezes, shaded, something like that, smooth, earthen path. And we could just start at a normal pace. And then as the mind got more calm, more settled, we'd slow it down. So you might start faster, you know, and it might be just placing. You don't have time to notice both the lifting and the placing. So it's just placing, 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 stopping, turning, turning, standing, placing, 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 stopping, standing, turning, turning, standing, like that. We're just creating a structure to support the mind being in the present moment. You're not trying to control things. You're not trying to be tight. So remind yourself to relax. And just see if you can find some joy and just being present, just the simplicity. Life is so complicated to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and be with the radical simplicity of noticing the lifting and placing. And then when the mind, which it will, gets distracted, then when you notice that, that's good. Noticing that your mind is distracted means you're mindful again. You can only notice your mind is distracted when the mind is in the present moment. It's when you're not noticing your mind is distracted that you're distracted, right? So don't get tight when you notice that your mind has been thinking. Oh, it should be like, not that you're going to use words in your mind, but it's sort of like, oh, it's so good to know that the mind was thinking. And the reverberation of that feels like this. Feeling is like this. Right? Oh yeah. Here's the body standing, or here's the body sitting. 
Breathing in is like this. If you're doing a breathing meditation or lifting is like this. Placing is like this. So we use, uh, often we use the word anchor. So these techniques, these mindfulness techniques, often but not always have a particular anchor or a training ground, like being aware of the breath coming in, being aware of the breath going out, which we'll do in just a few minutes, or the walking practice that I've just been talking about, being aware of the lifting, being aware of the placing. Now, we're not, we're going in the direction of not needing an anchor, but whenever we find that useful, use an anchor. If you can sustain mindful awareness without a particular training ground, like the stepping or the breathing in and out, great. But don't, just because it's hard work to keep coming back to the anchor, doesn't mean it's not good work. right? Because we have to rewire the mind to be present. And wanting to be in the present moment doesn't cause distraction to go away. You can obsess forever around the thoughts of wanting to be present. Right? You can think about being present, how great it would be to be present. Why is this person more present than me? I'm probably more present than anybody in this room right now. Right? We can we can spend lifetimes thinking about being present and not being present. So we have to be honest, these structures, these techniques, meditation techniques, training techniques are really useful. And what's important in the way that we teach here, I won't just be teaching one technique. I'm going to be teaching a lot of techniques so that you have a handful or maybe even two handfuls of what we call skillful means. And then you have to learn to use them so that in your meditation you're relatively independent about I'm going to bring in some loving kindness to support my practice, to help the mind balance. I'm going to use this more formal anchor now. I'm going to do a more open attention practice, which I'll talk about next week or the third week, where you're not relying on an anchor as much. Okay? So that's enough to stretch your legs out. Let's sit back down and I'll, we'll go and do a formal breath meditation. So find a way to sit where there's some comfort. Next week, or probably next week, I'll talk more about um, how to work with your posture. But just do the best you can to have a upright and comfortable sitting posture. You might find it useful at the beginning of sitting period to take a handful of longer, deeper breaths. You can even experiment with filling the lungs to their capacity, emptying the lungs completely, but in a relaxed way. You're not rushing. And using the breath to come into the moment. So maybe one more of these longer, deeper breaths.
and eventually letting the breath continue on its own, knowing that the body knows how to breathe. We don't need to consciously control it. Let's begin by simply receiving the sound of the bell. I'll ring it three times. Just let the ears receive the sound. And for a minute or two, continue receiving the sounds. In a sense, resting in this ocean of sounds coming and going. Trusting, so we're letting the sounds, letting the hearing be, however that is now. And perhaps even noticing the effortlessness of hearing. And then again, simply noticing the body sitting. This great ocean of body sensations that are coming and going. Every sensation is allowed to be, everything's included. The sense of sitting right in the middle of all these different sensations that are coming and going and a willingness to be sensitive, to be touched by these sensations. And not having to be for or against any of the sensations sensitive to even the neutral sensations that are arising now, like the clothes touching the skin, 
Everything's included. Undefended. Right in the middle. And notice naturally how the breath comes in. The breath goes out. Practice being sensitive to the experience of the breath coming in, sensitive to the sensations of the breath going out, and see if it's possible to be aware of the breath without needing to control it. From the very beginning of breathing in all the way through to the very end of the inhalation. And then once again, notice the very beginning of the out-breath all the way through to the last moment. So we're cultivating a very simple but continuous mindful presence, using the breath as a training ground. Be willing to begin again and again. And you can always, as a skillful means, note the in and out of each breath. It can be done very simply by repeating the word in silently in the mind as the breath comes in and repeating silently in the mind out when the breath goes out. Or you can even have a more effective word like calm as you breathe in and the word ease as you breathe out. Or if it seems that the mind lacks clarity, you could repeat the word knowing as you breathe in, to encourage the mind to clearly know that experience, to be intimate. And then ease as you breathe out. Knowing, ease.
see if it's possible to be actually interested in each inhalation, each exhalation. Interested in the continuity of mindful awareness, unbroken. And then when distractions do arise, if they're sticky, intense, then notice the distraction clearly. Oh, this is being known. It's like this. It feels like this. Can this be okay that this is being known? Let the distractions cease on their own and then begin again. Breathing in, sensitive to all the sensations of the breath while breathing out, sensitive to all the sensations of the breath. Everything's included. In fact, the sensations of the whole body are right there in the periphery. Even though we're attending to the sensations of the breath itself, we're not excluding all the other sensations or aspects of the experience. We'll continue in silence for another five minutes.
Now for the last minute or so, allow the eyes to open if they've been closed. If you're not looking around, just gaze toward the floor in front of you. Remember the body can be relaxed. So instead of following the breath, just allow there to be a simple presence. Seeing is like this, hearing, sensing the body sitting. Perhaps you can even notice the kind of mood or attitude that might be present now. The body is achy, including that experience. The mind is restless, you can include that. Sleepy the sleepiness. So for just another few seconds, this all-inclusive mindful awareness of the way it is now. And simply study the difference between moments of distraction that arises and moments of clarity and mindfulness. So for most people, the mindfulness of breathing will be a really good basic technique, and I'll introduce many others in the course of the six weeks, but for most people, it really works pretty well as a basic training for the mind. So just to review, that means you'll sit down, you'll put aside some time, your time yourself if you need to, if you're like on a schedule and you need to be done at a certain time or you want to make sure that you're sitting for a certain amount of time. And you, you've got your timer, you've got the equipment you need, so you've got the right chair, like a kitchen chair, not a big comfortable chair, or the cushion or bench, whatever you need. Take a few breaths like we did, just to help you center a little bit. Feel the whole body. Take some time just to feel the whole body or notice how we did at the beginning. We started by just hearing because being aware of sound uh, helps remind the mind of the possibility of being spacious or equanimous. We tend not to be very controlling of the sounds because they don't feel like they're our responsibility. So then first we start there. That's one way. And then bring the attention to the body, the sensations, and then more specifically, the movement of the breath in the body. Right? So we're kind of stepping into something part by part until it's more subtle. Like the breath is relatively subtle to be aware of that. You just feel the breath coming in, feel the breath going out. If you need the support, the support you can use 
a meditation word. So as you're breathing in, you could repeat the word knowing. As you're breathing out, you could repeat the word releasing or ease. But don't use, don't feel like you need to use a word. It's just one of those skillful means that you can use if it helps. Helps the continuity of mindful awareness. And then when the mind's distracted, as soon as you notice that, then acknowledge, oh, planning, thinking, just thinking being known. That's all it is. It's just the thinking mind being known. It feels like this. Like what's the reverberation of having been thinking? Well, it feels like this now in the body, right? This is the reverberation. It feels like this. Some thoughts have a lot of anxiety associated with them. So as soon as you notice that you've been worrying about something, oh, well, that feels like this. Or maybe you're excited about something. You've been thinking about something exciting. Oh, that feels like this. So you're, as soon as you realize that the mind is thinking, you're not trying to get rid of the thoughts. You're just Those thoughts will go away on their own. Just be aware that the thinking mind is thinking and notice that the thinking ceases and that there's some reverberation, some feeling. Oh, it feels like this. And then come back to the body. Feel the sensations of the body sitting. Feel the next breath coming in. Oh, knowing, knowing that it's like this. Releasing. Right? Releasing anything that's extra. Reminding the body, mind, it's okay to be relaxed. It's just the breath coming in and being known. The breath going out and being known. And like I said in the guide, guided sit, it's not just the breath. You're in a sense feeling the whole body as you breathe in. Because if you're sensitive to the breath, you're going to be sensitive to the body. It's just that the breath is, the, in a sense, the focal point, but you're not excluding any other aspect of the present moment. It's just there in the periphery. The attention is on the breath, but not forcing anything out of the moment. Breathing in, feeling the whole body. Breathing out, feeling the whole body. And just be willing to start over and over and over again, no matter how many times the mind gets distracted. The work is being willing to start over. That's the work. Don't get upset or frustrated. That's just natural that the mind's distracted. The mind has been given permission to do whatever it wants, so it that's its habit. So don't worry about that. Just be willing to begin again. Come back to the body. Feel the breath happening there. Connect with the next in or out breath. And then sustain that simple, balanced attention. Relaxed and clear attention. Right? And then at the end, before you have to end, take a couple minutes and just practice with your eyes open so that it's really helping you transition to mindfulness in daily life by just You're there. Don't use breath meditation. I mean, you may be aware of the breath, but don't aim towards the breath. Just be aware of your six senses. You know, it's like, oh, being alive is like this. Just be in the moment. And if it's confusing, then notice, okay, mind's confused. Or if you're self-conscious, okay, that feels like this. Self-consciousness feels like this. You're not trying to do anything because the awareness is already there, right? So in daily life, if you've got this project to be aware, you're going to be really weird. Your friends are going to think you're weird, and you're going to be tight. So you have to realize how natural it is to be awake. So you have to practice a little at the end of your formal training time. Then you put the training aside, and you're just being awake, which is already what you are, right? 
And you're just noticing that. And after a minute or two, then use that clear, wakeful presence to stand up and do whatever's next in your life, in your day. right? And then you'll get lost quick enough and caught up in thought. But then there'll be moments and you realize you're right back. Things are being known. This is being known. And in daily life, that's a nice little way to sharpen the mindfulness. This is being known. You can use a different word than this, like, oh, seeing is being known, or walking is being known, or sitting is being known, or anger is being known, or love is being known, or just this. So you're just connecting with what's predominant in that moment and acknowledging it's just something being known by mindfulness, by awareness, right? That's all. That's Those are moments of practicing in daily life. And if you get 20 of those moments, great. If you have a couple hundred of those moments during the day, amazing, right? If you have one, that's great. Just to, to be not just aware, but aware that you're aware, right? Oh, this is what's happening. This is what's being known. Can this be okay? Can, I, can the mind, the heart, leave it alone? Like, let it just be what it is. Yeah, I can. So it's 9 o'clock. Remember, next Tuesday, sometime in the afternoon, you may not want to come back, but it really is good to give yourself six weeks. Same thing, and tomorrow morning, you've got your 20 minutes or your 10 minutes, get yourself on a chair in a quiet corner of your apartment or ho- house, and just... Even though you think, God, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. Just try to remember what you can remember from the instructions. There are more instructions at the website that I mentioned. And just figure it out. Trial and error. Right? I'll just leave you with this thought. We're human beings of a mind. Right? We're sentient. We have awareness. We spent most of our life comp- you know, and we've investigated a lot of things. We've learned a lot, but how many actual moments have we been interested in the mind itself? We have this mind, but how many actual moments in your life have you taken this sensitivity, this awareness, and turned it back on the mind itself? Even though it's clearly the most relevant thing to being a human being, like being aware, right? But we don't, we haven't been interested in it that is amazing. So let's change that. (laughs) Let's start getting interested in the mind that knows, the mindfulness, the awareness that we live with all the time. And next week, uh, we have another mic, so your questions really make the class useful for people. So if you want, jot them down, but we'll have time next week, both your questions from your daily life practice, but also especially your questions from your formal sitting time. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.